This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I am so excited to share this hour with you and my guest today. My guest today is a very special person to me. Um, she didn't just change my life, she saved my life. And I consider her to be the smartest person that I've ever met in my life. And that's saying a whole lot. She is the best in the world at what she does. And for many of you today, your life is going to be extended and improved because of her presence here today. She's the author of the book, Healthy Heart, Healthy Brain, The Personalized Path to Protect Your Memory, Prevent Heart Attacks and Strokes, and Avoid Chronic Illness. Dr. Amy Donine, thank you for being here today. Oh, I'm so grateful to be here, Ed, and I'm so humbled by your by your all too uh, kind comments. So thank oh. you so much for that. You know it's true, and um, you guys, Amy is my doctor, and um, what we're going to talk about today is your overall wellness and health, no matter what age you are, your circulatory, your your artery health, your brain, uh, the vital organs in your body, the vessels that transmit the blood to those vessels, and obviously your heart as well. So um, she's the best in the world, guys, and this is going to be information you've never heard before most of it. So let's start out, Amy, about let's just start basic. Let's get kind of get up above mm -hmm. everything for a second. You bet. Let's look at our overall medical healthcare system yeah. and how you feel about that and where maybe some of the flaws and holes are in it and where we should be moving in terms of treating people's health and wellness. Yeah, excellent question or statement. So 20 years ago when we started this and we, I mean, Dr. Bradley Bale and myself have mm -hmm. the Bale Donine method and we've worked together for about 20 years. And um, you know, when we wrote our first book, which was published in 2014, it was all about what we learned about protecting the brain from a stroke and the heart from a heart attack. And what we've learned since then is that the same information that we had been advocating for, learning about, and, and delivering in the clinical setting was the biggest value, Ed, is really about long-term health and wellness. And that is the avoidance of chronic disease like dementia, kidney disease, peripheral vascular disease, erectile dysfunction, vision. And so when you look at the current healthcare system, you think, well, that'll protect me from those. I mean, it must, right? Mm -hmm. But sadly, our current healthcare system, which hasn't changed in 20 years, which I'm embarrassed to say, but it's true, is still a sick care model. Meaning if we have a problem, it picks us up after the fact. And if we have a heart attack, we'll get treated. If we have a stroke, we get treated. By the time we're older and we get something like dementia, well, it's considered sort of inevitable. And there's these diseases of aging that are somehow sadly accepted in this medical system, but they don't have to be. And that's really what this book, Healthy Heart, Healthy Brain, and I'm so grateful to you. I truly am for um, allowing me the honor to talk to your audience because my dream is that those of us in our 50s, our 40s, our 30s, really have the opportunity to realize there's things we can do right now to protect ourselves when we're 70, 80, 90. And we mustn't ever judge a book by its cover. You know, the idea that we may look healthy doesn't always mean our arteries are not inflamed. And yeah. so there are tools that are cost-effective, reliable, good, strong data behind them to say we can have a different path. Yeah, I so it's the most important thing to begin with everybody is that even in my case, when I tell people, hey, you know, I've had some issues with, you know, arterial sclerosis and, and circulatory and inflammation in my body. And they're like, you know, way. And, mm -hmm. you know, I met Amy really, maybe it was, I guess, my late 30s, early 40s. And I wish I would have known these things in my 20s. 
that I could have been doing to improve or prevent some of these things that happened with me that you basically, you know, in most of my case, and, you know, honestly, it's been sort of stopped. It's been stalled. In some cases, it's even been reversed. And so let's just dive in. There's so much. We're talking about gut health, brain health, you know, (laughs) markers, all these other things. But first off, Amy, let's go something kind of interesting, because I just think it's sort of fascinating. Little things people wouldn't know, just because I think it's a fascinating way to start on red flags for heart attack or stroke that no one in the world knows about other than you since you wrote this book. Now everybody can know. But like, what are some of these things that no one would even ever think matter that could actually be telltale signs that you could have an issue now or in the future in your life? Absolutely. So red flags are things that are they don't have a cause and effect. And I think that's important to realize. So if you have a red flag and it's fixed it doesn't mean the long-term risk is gonna go away, nor do we have a clear understanding of why that red flag gives Mm -hmm. us risk down the line. So an example, there's some visual things like just looking at ourselves in the mirror Um, and we all have optimistic bias. So I encourage everyone to like look in the mirror. And there's this interesting thing, um, it's called Frank's sign because the gentleman who published it was Dr. Frank. And it was in the 70s. And basically, there's if you have a diagonal earlobe crease that literally is diagonal on the ear, and as we get older, it becomes more pronounced. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It could be on one ear and not the other or both. But if you have this diagonal earlobe crease, you have a 78% increased risk in your lifetime of having multivascular disease. And it's a great... Um, it's a great party trick, right? So <laughs> I can't watch uh, I can't watch a television show or a news show. Um, it happened to me the other day. I was watching something on a uh, baseball, and the one guy came off the field, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he has Frank signed so significantly. And how am I going to tell him that that he needs wow. to get assessed? Wow. So Frank sign is one. Isn't that um, crazy, everybody. Think about what you just heard right now. No, minutes into and, the freaking and the show. Only, the only reason I'm I'm laughing about it and not laughing in a weird way, but like, it's so obvious. And so when you have Frank sign, then you think, well, what do I do about that? Or some others might be male pattern baldness, which men and women can have. So frontal parietal baldness or um, baldness towards the, the cap of the head. Those all show increased risk. So do things like kidney stones, history of gallstones, migraine headaches, for women and pregnancy is a stress test on the human body. So pregnancy opens this wonderful opportunity to give us clues on what we might have the opportunity to prevent down the line. So women that deal with things like preeclampsia during pregnancy, gestational diabetes, um, women as we move in through our life cycle of, of menopause and perimenopause, our good cholesterol starts to fall and our our bad cholesterol starts to rise. And we have all these opportunities throughout our lifetime to say, hey, what about what about my health? And Mm -hmm. and still, sadly, the healthcare system doesn't really pick us up uh, throughout our life journey. Um, So anyway, so red flags are a wonderful tool to just say, wow, I think I better go get checked out. I mean, it's no one's fault if you have an earlobe crease. You didn't do that. You can't go stand on your head and eat cabbage for the rest of your life and make it go away. Nor right. can you have plastic surgery and say, well, now I don't have that, so it's better. Right. Uh, no, it just says, I'm going to get checked out. And so- What about you know, fat like, deposits on your eyes? What about that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So those are called xanthomas. So um, you can get little fat deposits on the areas where the skin is thin 
like mm -hmm. on the eyes, sometimes on the tendons, and they're called xanthomas, and they give us a clue that that individual may have a very dramatic lipid abnormality, um, even something so genetic, we call it familial hypercholesterolemia. And we advocate mm -hmm. with our dental colleagues to look at this because if it happens at a young age and you see someone with this, asking a simple question of, have you ever had your cholesterol checked? And a lot of mm -hmm. times until someone has a problem, that's not even checked until we're 50. Right. And you guys, so we're already this quick into it. You're like, oh my gosh, you're going to be sharing this with everybody. I'm telling you, because not <laughs> only are we going to go through some of the markers and things that you should be monitoring at every single age for protection of your brain, your heart, all your vital organs. Also, frankly, guys, my energy level changed when I got all of these things Uh not all of them fixed, but when I got some of them dealt with. So we're going to cover all of that. The cool thing about Amy, guys, because you do have the best in the world here, is that you're also going to get solutions midway through and towards the end as well. So it's not just like, here's markers, here's things. There'll be things that you can do. You're going to want to show people older than you and younger than you. So let's talk about, let's go to some stuff that I know you always check with me that seem mm -hmm. to be really important to you. And I want to understand why. So let's, we're going to move all over the place today. But why does blood pressure matter so much? Why are you so obsessed with my blood pressure, number one? <laughs> and what is good blood pressure? Because you go to a normal doctor, like, oh, you're 135 over 80, you're pretty much fine, or whatever it is, right? I've always been shocked by the number you want to see from me. And what when I go to get a generic medical check, they're like, yeah, you're fine. And so why does blood yeah. pressure matter? What is good? What is bad? And what can we do about it? Yeah, so great question. So I do care about your blood pressure very much. And right. the, the normal blood pressure um, considered normal in most circumstances is under 140 over 80. And, and that top number is called systolic. Um, and the bottom number is called the diastolic. So that idea of what is normal has been challenged. And it's actually changed. There was a really well done trial called the sprint trial. And they took people, let's just talk about the top number for a minute, who had a pressure of 140. And they pushed half the group under 120. And they followed them for five years. The trial was stopped six months early, Ed, because the data was so significant that if we can keep our blood pressure under 120 versus under 140, we drop heart attack and stroke rates by 33%. And we drop all over death, like death, hit by a tree, struck by lightning, dying of a heart attack or stroke by 25%. So therein lies the new normal. And the sad thing is over 50%, 54.5% of people over age or under age 50 rather have high blood pressure and have no clue. Yeah. No clue. And yeah. so the other thing that you said on blood pressure that I think is so important for us to realize, for those of us in our, I'm 52, going to be 53 soon, um, for those individuals who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, is that at age 53, if our blood pressure is over 120 over 80, we have a significant increased risk by the time we're 70 of having lower brain volumes and also increased risk of dementia. So part of, I believe knowledge, like knowledge is the best weapon we have. So getting educated and understanding how important it is to check our blood pressure. And one of the things that I advocate for is have a blood pressure cup in your house. I don't care if the kids ruin it, they're cheap, go buy a new one. You want to remove the fear of checking your blood pressure because the idea of 
uh, people saying, well, I have white coat hypertension. I get nervous when I come to see you and that's why I have high blood pressure. The reality is if if you have it in an office, you're going to have it at that stoplight. You're going to have it at other situations in life. So knowing what your morning blood pressure is and keep a track on that is so important. So huge. You know, everybody, when I was in my 20s, I want everyone, I want to catch every demo here. When I was in my 20s, I was so transfixed on how I felt, only how I felt, and also what I looked like. You know, did I have a six pack? How big were my arms? What was my body fat? Was my body weight? How strong was I? And I thought that equated to my overall health and wellness. And there may be a correlation, but it's not completely connected because in me, I had some issues with insulin resistance, right? That's Mm -hmm. another thing that you're always monitoring, kind of like the connection between insulin resistance, I think, and inflammation. And so let's talk a little about insulin resistance. What is that? Mm -hmm. How can that be checked if I'm someone in my 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s? Why does it matter, et Mm -hmm. cetera? Absolutely. So um, what we're talking about with blood pressure, insulin resistance, cholesterol, gut health, psychosocial health, genetics, um, sleep, vitamin D deficiency, all of these things we call root causes. Root causes actually do have a cause and effect, meaning if we identify the problem and we fix the problem, the inflammation, in the arteries is going to go down and the disease are, is going to stabilize. And at 70 percent of people who've had a heart attack or who have significant vascular disease are insulin resistant. The challenge becomes um, insulin resistance is usually not discovered until someone has type 2 diabetes which is the Mm -hmm. end result of the syndrome of insulin resistance, which goes on 20 years before the beta cells in the pancreas that make insulin, they get tired, they die off. And then we have a sugar problem. But along those 20 years, the arteries are being beaten up. Why? Because the cholesterol abnormalities we have are, are what we call dyslipidemia. We don't have enough of the good cholesterol to help us. We have too much of the small, dense LDL particle profile that can be wrapped into something called ApoB. We have um, high resting heart rates. We have things like hypertension because of decreased nitric oxide to the artery wall. We have all of these things that lead to vascular disease. And ultimately, by the time someone's discovered to be diabetic, what's addressed is their sugar problem which really should be addressed is the inflammation that's gone on inside their highway system for 30 years. You know, we have 30,000 miles of arteries in our body, 30,000. Can you believe that? So uh, those arteries feed nutrients to our brain, our eyes, our heart, our kidneys, all the way down to our toes. And so our method really is a scientific method aimed to protect the highways. I am a glorified highway worker and no one else had claimed that strategy. So it's not to compete with cardiology, neurology, nephrology, because we're very siloed in in the medical system. But to be able to claim the highway system and the health of the arteries is critical. So whether the arteries are no bigger than human hair or some are large, like the aorta is about three centimeters in diameter. So understanding that those highways are what we need to protect. And remember, we can't feel the inflammation in our arteries. We have to look for it and we have to deal with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that's what's so interesting. And yeah, 
Those highways, by the way, guys. So you're like, all right, why should we worry about my highways? Well, brain health, heart health, energy, sexual performance, memory, vision. Mm -hmm. These are all things that matter by we're protecting these. And this is modern day cutting edge health and wellness medical treatment, guys. Not we're not we're not covering the hey, get your HDL and LDL checked. My guys, that's 1983, right? And so Let's let's talk a little bit about markers on does okay does cholesterol matter? Most people when they get a lab done at any age, I got HDL of uh, fifty two and my LDL is one thirty and the ratio is good. I'm kind of cool. What would you say? What would you tell us about the role, the good and the bad role cholesterol plays in our body? And is it that big of a telling marker for any eventual brain deterioration or heart disease in somebody? What should we be measuring and does it really matter? Yeah, great question. So um, one thing to lead into the answer to that question is absolutely cholesterol matters, but it's gotten way too much attention over the years. Matter of fact, it has claimed ownership of heart health. And and while it's important, um, it's one of many things that are important. So back in 1948, there was something called the Framingham Risk Profile that was developed. And literally, they took the town of Framingham, Massachusetts, isn't very diverse, by the way, and mm-hmm. said, hey, who in this town's having a heart attack? And they developed a screening profile that I'm, I'm here to tell you has not changed since 1948. And here it is. We take our age, our gender, our smoking status, our total cholesterol, good cholesterol, systolic blood pressure. We throw that in a fancy equation. And then I'm to tell you, Ed, you have less than whatever percentage of risk over the next 10 years of having an event. So here's the problem. 60% of people who have a heart attack have normal cholesterol, normal cholesterol. And, and, and while it matters, yes, it's not LDL that gets all the attention. Yes. We want LDL in control, but the profile of our lipids, like the ratio of the triglyceride to HDL, if that's over 3.5, that individual's insulin resistant. I don't care if they're an Olympic athlete, how old they are, how young they are, how wide they are, how narrow they are, doesn't matter. They are on the path towards diabetes and those arteries are being beaten up. Things like triglyceride to HDL, that is actually the most predictive. And we need that ratio to stay under 3.5. If it jumps up above 3.5, we aim the risk of oxidation of those lipids within the artery wall. You know, 99% of plaque grows in the artery wall. That's why we don't feel it. We Mm. only feel it when it Mm. starts to misbehave and that's through other inflammatory cascades. Mm. So if plaque decides to rupture through the artery wall, it's like a, think about like a garden hose Um, and a garden hose, you know, you've got water flowing through the garden hose. And if the hose integrity itself is compromised, you don't feel it until it has a problem, right? You don't feel that until it has a problem. And traditional medicine looks here. So you go take a stress test because perhaps you have a family history. Do you know that a stress test is only abnormal if you have a 70% blocked artery? However, 86% of heart attacks occur in vessels that are 70% occluded. So we now have the tools to actually look at the arteries non-invasively, safely to say, hey, what's going on in there? And give us insight into the the health of the hose itself. And if the hose is starting to show fatty streaks or signs of inflammation, 
then what do we do? We say, well, why? Like, what is it? Is it your lipid profile? Is it blood pressure? Is it sleep? Is it psychosocial, vitamin D, periodontal? And like, why is it? Because if we don't deal with the why and treat the why and see the inflammation go down, those highways are going to be compromised. And the little ones happen right under our noses. So when you think about something as common as erectile dysfunction, which is inability to get or maintain an erection, that has to do with vascular flow. That's why these treatments that are out there, Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, which actually are vasodilators work. But the reality is these individuals that are dealing with it need to appreciate the fact that it's, it's, that's the symptom of an underlying compromised highway system. Gosh. See, and well, women. Oh, sorry. No, I want you. I, want, I was <laughs> going to ask you about women. About You're, you were reading each other's minds because we work together. So please go go to women. Well, I was just going to say women. There's a bias here because sadly, one of the first. So if a, a male is dealing with erectile dysfunction and there's a lot of complexity with uh, libido uh, relationships and, and all of that related to sexual satisfaction and sexual health, but true inability to get or maintain erections is a vascular flow issue, period. Women, unfortunately, don't, we don't have an organ in the middle of our body that stops working if we have microvascular complications or, you know, chronicity of that. So what are our first signs? Memory loss, vision changes, kidney disease, peripheral vascular disease, it's, it is not fair. And so uh, that's why I get so fired up every February when it's Women's Heart Month, because I want everyone to stand up and take notice that there are these clues throughout our lifetime through prior to pregnancy, pregnancy, perimenopause and menopause that we can say, gosh, I'm, I'm not sleeping. I, I, you know, I'm not feeling well, or I've got these other red flags or perhaps some root causes and get it dealt with now. So it doesn't lead into problems down the line. That's why I'm I wanted to ask you because about that. Yeah, I, I know. And, and I, I, um, I want all the women listening to this is like, you know what, ladies, you're always the last to care for yourself at every age. And you may be listening to this going, listen, I'm 31 years old. I go to the gym. I'm 38 years old. I, you know, I feel great. Wouldn't it be a shame to almost become what I was, which is that I worked all my life on eating pretty well, lifting weights, working out, working on my mind, doing all the work that I know so many of you do because you're so much like me. I built the dream. So you have this dream. I built the dream life. I had the house and the family and the contribution. I had all that stuff. And by the time I arrived there, I was a ticking time bomb to even have any time to enjoy it. And so there, I wish in my at 31 when I was going to the gym that I started to do these things that we're describing today and these markers and, and gave myself the self-care. Most of you dudes aren't doing it either. But ladies, it's oh, you're always last. It's always taking care of your spouse. It's always then your children. It's always work. It's always everyone else. And then there's nothing left for you. And so these things really matter to everyone, but particularly the ladies that are listening to this, the causes of the amount of women passing from heart disease is a staggering number. And so let's go to, um, you said periodontal disease a little bit. So there was these things when I met Amy, she's like, let me look at your ears. Let me look at your eyes. <laughs> I'm going to, I don't just measure your cholesterol. I'm going to measure your small particle, your big particle, which is what most people never do. Guys just look, we're probably not going to have time to cover a lot of that today. It's not just generic cholesterol. There's different particles that Amy measures. 
But then there was this issue with my gums and, and the correlation there that I was also not in good shape with. I had pretty teeth and I think pretty good breath and all of that stuff. And I went to a dentist pretty somewhat regularly. Actually, probably not regularly enough, but I had never really had these tests done that can be indicative of underlying issues in your artery health. So can you talk to that a little bit? Oh, I absolutely will. I'm going to circle back to women really quick and then I'll yeah. go to periodontal disease. So um, what you said, Ed, is so important when you talked about women, because when there, were, there was a study by a woman named Dr. McSweeney, and she took woman, women who were in the hospital with a heart attack, and she said, what do you feel like now? And what did you feel like a month ago? The symptoms a month ago were things that we all deal with, like fatigue, anxiety, um, uh, not sleeping well. Symptoms at the time of the heart attack were GI upset, unexplained anxiety, mm. all these things that we can justify and actually prevent the entry into the ER later. So oftentimes women end up in the ER later in the process and, and are at risk for more damage because they just present later, um, you know, later because their symptoms aren't classic. With that being said, unfortunately, when you think about stroke, and in, in our book, I talk about these women, Nikki, Camille, Julie, yeah. who all in their 30s had strokes and heart attacks. Um, and the recidivism, which means they have another one, is extremely high. Matter of fact, young women under the age of 44 have the highest rate of recidivistic stroke. Why? Wow. Wow. Yeah, because what happens is these women have these weird symptoms or let's say a, a stroke symptom or a heart attack, and they, they don't have any obvious risk factors. So they leave with the diagnosis of what's called cryptogenic stroke. And that's a fancy way to say, we don't know. You don't have a hole in your heart. You don't have AFib. You have no blockages. We don't really know. So if this happens again, come back sooner. An example of that, I'll just be quick on this, but it's so powerful. Um, we spoke about her in the first book and brought her up again in the second. Her name is Camille, who at 42 years old had gone into her doctor. Okay, so she went in for a physical and she talks about this very, very articulately. She says, he had a fancy coat. I sat down and, and I told him I, I had some shortness of breath and I was kind of anxious. And so... I even said, based on my family history, I hope I'm not, you know, at risk for a heart attack. And so she said, he sat there on a fancy iPad and made a calculation. And he said, I've got great news for you. You have less than 1% chance of having a heart attack. And she said, oh my gosh, that's great. And being most of us, she says, well, that means I have a 99% chance of not having a heart attack. Awesome. I'm out of here. Right. So mm -hmm. he did say to her, you need to lose weight. And, and she thought to herself, I've been trying my whole life. Like I've been trying my whole life. Like, thank you for telling me the obvious. And so, yeah. um, so she leaves and she goes to work. And now the, now the shortness of breath and anxiety is leading to uh, chest discomfort. And she literally says to herself, I just left the doctor's office. I can't be having a heart attack. Oh my God. Like this is weird. And so finally, finally she gets to the ER. They leave her in the ER for like way too long. And then she, they measure what they do, enzymes and EKG, and they say, oh my gosh, you're having a heart attack. To the cath lab, she goes, she wakes up and they say, Camille, next time this happens, you better get here sooner. Oh my God. That was the advice. And that's when I met Camille when she was 42, 
Now it's been over a decade since she's had her heart attack and she's great. And there's other people in the book, Nikki, Julie, who had two heart attacks at the age of 37 and was told she had pneumonia and she didn't even have, she didn't even have a, a, anyway, my point is women are under-recognized and the recidivism rates are terrible. So then going to the other root causes that you mentioned, periodontal disease, absolutely. You know, in 2012, the American Heart Association and the American Association of Periodontology, which is the focus of the gum health, said what goes on here is associated with here, but they failed to state causality. And if you don't state causality, it gives you permission for apathy, right? In, in the medical world. So why was that true? Because the diagnostics of periodontal disease um, don't include the pathogens. So they include things like bleeding gums or pocket depths of a certain millimeter, et cetera, et cetera. But what we did in 2017 is published a paper to say, well, we're seeing it clinically, like, what is this? And so with the help of colleagues like Dr. Tom Neighbors and others, um, Dr. Bradley Bale and I published a paper that looked at the bacteria that cause yeah. periodontal disease. And ultimately, it's the bacteria that have, there's, there's five of them, AAPG, TFTD, and F. And those bacteria have an effect on the health of our gums. But more importantly, they actually can cause oxidative stress and trapping of cholesterol in the artery wall and vascular inflammation. Mm-hmm. So identifying the bacteria even before someone has gum loss and I dealing with the bacteria to prevent things like even dementia. Now they've identified PG, a a bacteria that lives in the gum line associated with amyloid beta plaquing in the brain. So Mm. imagine if you're a child and, and you've got this bacteria because you got it from your parents and it's a household contractile bacterial infection. And a child is dealing with that their whole life. And then you bring on life like um, COVID for kids who have had more screen time than ever before, obesity rates going up, type two diabetes rocketing in a younger generation. And something as simple as periodontal disease, which is a family disease is also going on. You add all these things together and you realize that these young individuals of really just based on their genetics and, and their environment are set up for vascular disease, and they're not going to be picked up until they have an event. Every single person in our book that's had an event, they they were, as I said earlier, they're shocked and they were missed. And that's the one thing on children. So guys, in about three minutes, I'm gonna, we're gonna transition a little bit into some solutions, supplements and, mm-hmm. and um, some different things. But I wanna stay on the, the kid part of it for a second. This bacteria that is in your gums, you should go get checked for everybody, but it can start when someone is a child. So, so should people be having their kids get checked for this bacteria? And then secondly, you've had me with my kids, there's now genetic testing that can be done as well. Mm-hmm. That can, this is for your children, everybody, and yourself, but this is an Something most people are not aware of that they should be aware of. So let's talk a little bit about should the kids get tested for this bacteria and uh, genetic testing that may be really important to know about yourself, but maybe even more important for your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan. Yes, um, I, I think that the best prevention starts at a younger age, mm-hmm. right? Um, in 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 Chinese philosophy and medicine, there's a saying that says the 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 best medical provider, the best medical provider prevents the disease. Um, 
the mediocre medical provider um, prevents um, the progression of disease and the optimal or, or the, the provider who treats end stage disease is actually the yeah. less aggressive in a sense. So yeah. our system is flipped on that, obviously. So the younger age, we can find things. And, you know, it's recommended now that kids at age six get their cholesterol checked. So mm -hmm. if there's a family history of anything, um, insulin resistance, diabetes, heart disease, periodontal disease, any of this, the younger we find out, the more time we have to kick someone off that path. Because most people, Ed, don't want to be on medicine. And I respect that. But mm -hmm. when someone has vascular disease, the horse is out of the barn and we need to make sure that vascular disease is halted. And mm -hmm. so if we can catch people at a young age before they develop vascular disease. How awesome is that? Yeah, right. What about the genetic testing? Should should mm -hmm. people have that done for their children? Well, I, I think we should start with ourselves first. Yep. Um, absolutely. And there's there's genes. Genes do a number of things. One, genes tell us our lifetime lifetime risk, like um, the heart attack gene. We named something called 9021. 50% of us have it. If you have it, if a significant increased risk of developing heart disease, regardless, increased risk of developing aneurysm risk, regardless of cholesterol, right? Mm -hmm. So, So something like that helps us. There's other information with genes like pharmacogenetics that can help us be more precise in our treatment selection. So we can look at, there's an enzyme system in our liver called the cytochrome P450. And, and it basically, it's a guidebook to say, you know, if you're a slow metabolizer through a certain pathway, why would we use a med when there's lots of other options yeah, right. that you would tolerate better? So pharmacogenetics is one. And then the other is even on lifestyle. So like you go to the bookstore and you say, oh my gosh, I have heart disease in my family. I need to be healthy. And you open one book and it, and it says, you should do keto. You open another book and it yeah. says, nope, you should do eat nothing with the face or a mother, right? Or yeah. another book, you know, you go through these things. And when you read them in isolation, they all have value. They, mm -hmm. they absolutely do. But based on our genetics, like the APOE gene and haptoglobin, we can appreciate how our body processes things like fats, carbohydrates, alcohol, how we respond to exercise. Does gluten provide an inflammatory uh, source of something called zonulin has nothing to do with an allergy. So, so when I, when someone says to me, what diet should I do? I say, I don't know, let's check your genes because yeah. I want to be very specific in what I'm going to recommend um, from an inflammatory standpoint. And you've had Dr. Ian Smith on the show before. Um, and the idea of a narrowed food window, I believe very strongly is critical from an inflammatory standpoint. Okay. It even reduces systolic, diastolic blood pressure, reduces um, some of the inflammatory markers I measure like HSCRP. It reduces the family of interleukins. So from an inflammatory standpoint, I think we were wrong for a long time. I really do. I think we were wrong when we said, wake up, break your fast, eat small, frequent, regular meals all the time. Now with Jason Fung's work and others in the field of intermittent fasting, from an inflammatory standpoint, I'm a tremendous fan. See, that's so fascinating. You and I were talking about this this morning as well when we were going through some of my stuff and and there that is sort of a consensus, guys, on, the, on my show. So whether it was Dr. Ian Smith or David Sinclair, who's the anti-aging sort of uh, guru 
out of Harvard, and now the person that I trust the most on the planet, shorter feeding windows, if you want to call it intermittent fasting or reduced feeding windows seem to have almost a consensus now, at least as it regards inflammation. And so that was my question was about intermittent fasting. My next question solution wise is what are some of the best and worst supplements that people can or are taking for artery health? Yeah, good question. So um, the lowest hanging fruit, I would say one that actually is a root cause is vitamin D deficiency. So um, vitamin D is very deficiency is very common. And, and when you look at that, and I'm a skeptic at heart. So when I first started measuring vitamin yeah. D, I was like, everyone is low. Like this is who's, who's pushing this data. Right. Um, but the guidelines for the FDA were originally designed to prevent rickets. So we're well past that now in, in this day and age. So <laughs> when we look at vitamin D deficiency, um, why does it matter? It matters because low vitamin D levels, really when they start to chunk down under 35, 30, what we see is an increase in something called asymmetrical dimethylarginine, or, and it reduces nitric oxide to the artery wall and can actually create oxidation and uh, cholesterol trapping within the artery wall itself. So it gets my attention. Uh, mm. Low vitamin D also increases HSCRP. So um, as far as what the perfect level is, I'm not really sure. I'm a little more conservative. When, when people are treated for something like seasonal affective disorder, I know my psychology colleagues are pushing them to 80 and 90. For me personally, if I can get my patients to around 50 to 60, there's a real paucity of data that by the time you're there, it's probably not associated with cardiovascular implications. So with a bias, I usually like to see people around 50 to 60, just because the data wanes at that point to say that it's a risk factor. What about like um, uh, uh, fish oil, things like that? Yeah. So fish oil, um, depending on someone's ApoE genotype, depending okay. on their lipid profile, um, I'm a huge fan of omega-3, which is a combination of EPA and DHA. So I do measure omega-3 levels. And if someone is low, I want to get them at a therapeutic level. Absolutely. Because we know um, omega-3 has anti-inflammatory qualities. There's been a couple studies that have challenged that hypothesis, but um, they're now looking at them. Actually, it was published about two days ago that showed that it might have been the placebo arm or the treatment arm that actually um, allowed some skewing of the data, which is always something intuitively that you think, really, this, this, yeah. this doesn't match. But anyway, yes, I'm a huge fan of omega-3. And if someone's an ApoE4 that doesn't process fat very well, I keep them at lower doses, like at one gram. If someone has a high triglyceride level, we use it at higher levels. So vitamin D, omega-3, um, antioxidants like vitamin C is, is extremely powerful. Um, things like vitamin K2 from an insulin resistance standpoint, berberine is a great anti-diabetic uh, agent and weight loss agent. So there are lots of supplements that, that I, I use proactively and some that I shy away from because um, they really, while it sounds great on paper, may not have the cardiovascular impact or may interact with other things that I'm using. So I, I really just like to know what someone's on and, and look at the data. Okay, so that's great. So what about this? Is there anything someone's doing lifestyle-wise that you definitively know is pushing them further towards a lack of brain health, a lack of heart health, any artery issues? Is there something definitive lifestyle-wise? If you're doing this, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. 
Yeah, good question. So when we use the word lifestyle, often think we think diet and exercise, that's it, end of story. But one that's not talked about enough is psychosocial health. So if we use, and I know in your work, Ed, you've been so proactive on this, and I'm so respectful of the work you do on this, positivity and optimism. But if we use, in my world, the definition of to be in an environment for which we perceive a lack of control, that sense of lack of control is unifying because everybody is different. Um, If you told someone, unlike you, to get on a stage in front of thousands of individuals, it may cause them anxiety. For you, you feel in complete control, right? right? So it's very different for each individual. But if we feel that sense of lack of control, things happen in the human body. These little amygdala that are almond-shaped centers in the brain start firing, and they're telling you to get out of there because we are made to run from tigers and lions and bears, right? Right, right? So, But if you can't get out of there, what happens? So when the amygdala fire, um, things from an inflammatory standpoint start to happen. The brain tells the bone marrow to produce inflammatory monocytes. Monocytes then can trap cholesterol and get it into the artery wall. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of off to the races. So then we say, well, if that's true, if I feel and I can't change it, let's say, let's say you're in a job that absolutely causes you a sense of feeling of out of control. You have a bad boss or a coworker that just makes you feel you don't have control over your environment. Do you leave? Well, that all sounds good in theory, but it's not always possible. So how do we deal with it? The only way that I think from a non-medical standpoint would be to change our perception of control. So how do we change our perception, right? It's about using things like mindfulness, which you talk about so well. And in your new book that really talked about just make one small step, just jump over these roadblocks, like, like, like gain a perception of control in your life. Right. Um, And when you, and, and this is the other thing, the perception could be wrong, but if you feel it's correct, those amygdala calm down. Right. And then we get less inflammation within the artery wall, things Mm -hmm. like optimism. Do you know optimism reduces cardiovascular risk long-term? They even looked at, there was a meta-analysis of 15 studies and they followed these people for 14 years. And do you know that individuals that practice mindfulness and really dealt with their psychosocial health, cardiovascular events were reduced 35%. Statins Mm -hmm. reduce cardiovascular risk 35%. So um, I, I really, to me, mental health is, absolutely as important as cholesterol, blood pressure, sleep, insulin resistance, everything else we've talked about. So I'm a huge fan of appreciating our reality. So what I'm hearing is you need to read a healthy heart, healthy brain, and then you need to read the power of one more and you're really good to go. So that's what (laughs) I'm Yeah, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple things. on that it's just like hidden stuff i always want to give people that they don't realize so lipoprotein little a let's talk about that for a second oh, good one yeah so when I, one. I had bob harper on my show um mm-hmm. who who uh is one of the fittest guys in the world was uh the yep. host of uh what was the show called uh biggest, biggest, loser. biggest loser wonderful man and i asked him i said just curious did you have your lipoprotein little a test and he goes well not before but afterwards holy smokes right and i said well kind of me a little mm-hmm. bit too and, this is just something, even when I say that term, 99 out of 100 people have no idea even what I'm talking about. But yeah. can you address yeah. that a little bit? And is there a correlation between that and artery issues, so to speak? 
Yes, absolutely. So thanks for bringing that up. So we've yeah. known about lipoprotein A for 20 years. Yeah. It's a genetically inherited lipid abnormality. Um, people don't cause it by eating wrong or not exercising right. enough. It is genetic. It's found on chromosome number six. And about 23 to 24% of people with heart disease have it. Sadly, it's not part of the guidelines. Um, so people don't get checked for it. Mm. But it's becoming part of the guidelines. Matter of fact, in November of 2021, finally, the American Heart Association made a formal statement that said, hey, we should probably check for this. Wow. And, and Bob Harper has been with huge respect of his story, very vocal and actually has dealt with the Amer Lipoprotein A Foundation and done a lot of powerful work on that. But here's what we know about Lipoprotein A. It is independently causal of heart attacks. Dr. Michael Lauer, who at the time in 2009 was the president of the NHLBI, National Health Lung and Blood Institute, which oversees American Heart and American Diabetic. So this thing is causal. We need to start measuring it. Fast forward to 2022, and still people don't know about it. But why is it so bad? Lipoprotein A basically in an oversimplified form is an abnormal protein coat that fits around the bad cholesterol, causing it to get into the artery wall and oxidize on a dime. So it can get that fatty streak development going at a very, very young age. That's one thing. The other thing is the body recognizes it as something it needs to attack. So it places people in a pro thrombotic state. So if someone was to get a plaque rupture or that garden hose integrity was, was impacted, they are very, very good about forming a clot. And if that clot wants to go and block an artery in the heart, we'll call it a heart attack. If it wants to block in the brain, we'll call it a stroke. The mm. third thing that we know about lipoprotein A is it can also cause, cause bowel problems in the heart. So I think everybody should get checked for lipoprotein A, everybody. And, mm. and if you have it, there are treatments available right now. Things like vitamin B3, which has been around forever, is effective. There's new uh, drugs in the pipeline in, in stage three clinical trials, anti-sense meds that are designed to particularly lower it. So science is finally catching up, but I appreciate you bringing that up because if you don't have it, you're not going to catch it. So just check for it. And it's a $25 test. It's not expensive. So by the way, everyone, I just want to say one thing. You're welcome so far, because I promised you in the beginning <laughs> you would be hearing things that you've never heard before. And somewhere throughout this interview, the entire conversation or definitely parts of it is new information for you that, by the way, can I just ask everyone, please share this share this with young people, share this with people that are middle-aged, share this with old people, because there's stuff in here that can save lives and change lives, both. And mm -hmm. so I know for you, speaking of lives, that when I met you, your passion level for this work, I I, I like to work with the best. I want to find people that have the most passion for their, their, their mission in their life. And when I met you, I went, oh, I've met this prodigy. I've met this, I've met the best. I, I literally, and by the way, she was introduced to me this way too. I've met the best. And then when I got to know him, I'm like, my gosh, she, she loves her work. <laughs> and, but then to add on to that, I want to talk about your dad a little bit, because this hits home for you as it relates to sort of brain health and memory loss and why this matters so much. So talk a little bit about your dad and then also what he did or didn't do that potentially put him, unfortunately, in the situation that he found himself in later in his life, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for bringing him up. He was an amazing man. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we I describe him the book in him in the book as a gentle giant. So unlike my five foot three frame, he was six point six foot five, lived life big and was big, mm-hmm. and and gave the best hugs ever. So I dearly oh. miss my father. Mm-hmm. Um, but the irony of the situation, Ed, is that while we were writing this book, I was losing him. And I was losing him via memory loss, dementia, and Alzheimer's. And I think his his father, my grandfather, also had dementia and Alzheimer's. They actually died, both died at age of 79, which is way too young. Um, so then when you think, what did he do or what could he be what could he have done differently to protect him? And what can I do and what can my brother do to make sure? It's not an inevitable um, endpoint. So I think the biggest thing is education. What we know now, our parents didn't know. They didn't know that periodontal disease was a problem. They didn't know about sleep apnea. They didn't know about the huge effects. My dad smoked for 40 years. He did quit, but he smoked for 40 years. It was cool when he did it, right? Um, It was a different different time of life. So all of these things, and, and there's, medicine that protects the brain that he didn't have access to that we have access to. So um, as I told and I tell my dear, dear brother, Brian, who's a spitting image of my dad, they're both giants. um, It's not going to happen to you because we know more now than we did then. And um, yeah. What's that that medication, Amy? I know everyone's saying there, ask her what that medication is. What is that medication? So so the the same meds that stabilize plaque in the artery wall protect our brain from microvascular disease. Because remember, as I said earlier, all arteries are built the same, all of them. They have a lumen. They have a thin wall called the endothelium, right? Which if I took all the endothelial cells out of your body and lay them out flat, Ed, you'd have about five tennis courts of surface area. So there's meds that help those help those cells seal so we don't get penetration. And then um, also we can stop the trapping of dangerous inflammatory ApoB in the artery wall. So things like statins when used appropriately reduce dementia risk by 36%. ACE inhibitors um, and nitric oxide delivery mechanisms reduce um, brain memory loss. Things as simple as baby aspirin also show data to protect the brain. Things that also really protect the brain are appropriate sleep patterns, right? Mm -hmm. If we think about sleep for a minute, when we think about brain health, and this was a huge one for my father, huge. He refused much to my pushing to get even a sleep study. And then when he did have a sleep study, he didn't really want to believe it. And I'm not blaming him. It's just the reality of it. But think about this. We can live about a month without food. We can live about three days without water. We can only live about two minutes without air. And and when you think about that and you think when we do a sleep study on somebody, we're looking for hypoxic timeframes. And if someone just doesn't breathe at least five times an hour, the risk of having a heart attack or stroke or dying from one and getting dementia and brain deficiency is twofold higher than the next. And that's at the most mild form of sleep apnea. Most people, when they get checked, they're tired during the day, they have headaches, they aren't sleeping well. They may have hypoxic episodes 30, 40 times an hour, and they've dealt with this through a lifetime. So 
the mm. arteries, the hypoxia over the years just beats us up. Mm. So when I think about protecting the brain, it's about eating right. It's about sleeping. It's about our emotional health. It's about getting proper oxygen called air. Narrowed food window has data. Mm. Getting treatment, if you have arterial disease, to keep it in the artery wall where it belongs and don't let it misbehave. Um, and sometimes medicines are necessary for that when used appropriately. Thank you for honoring your dad and, uh, and, and using that story to help so many other people. I know a lot of the people listening to this are familiar with me. And just so you know, the kind of the final frontier for me is sleep. And Amy's been on me for a long time to get my sleep study done. And I've used my busyness and my book and my podcast and my TV show and all these other things as an excuse. And just about 20 minutes before we went on air, I made a commitment <laughs> to her that this month I'm going to do my sleep study because even hearing you say it now is a little bit different for me. I hear it now like as a listener to my show, as opposed to my doctor saying it to me, and it's made an even bigger impact on me. So thank you for that. You bet. I, pro I promised you all that today would be incredible. And I'm, we're going to have one last question here, but I want to do, first of all, I, I want to thank you for saving my life. And I want to thank you for loving what you do so much that you keep growing, you keep researching, you you do what everybody who's the best in the world that's the goat at what they do does, which is that you're never satisfied. You keep wanting to grow. You keep her. You, when you're as brilliant as Amy, it would be very easy not to be a curious person. And she's curious. She wants to learn. Even when I bring her ideas, I'm like, I just read this article. We read it. She's never like, oh, I know. Uh, sure, I'll read it. And maybe I can learn something from that. And so there's a lesson in greatness from Amy also, everybody, which is that no matter how good you get at what you do, that you should still remain and have a high level of curiosity and humility about yourself so that you can continue to be great at what you do. And you do that. Thank God. Thank and I'm, I'm, I love you. And I'm so grateful for you. Um, oh, thank I, you I can only say one person has saved my life, like saved my life. And, and you're listening to her today, guys. So I probably didn't ask you something today I should have. And so I want to leave the last question sort of open to you. <laughs> what did I not ask you about brain health, wellness, heart health, anything I missed today that someone listening to this goes, man, I wish he would have asked that. Or there's this other thing left in this huge brain of hers. By the way, we've tapped the surface, get the book, number one. And then, you know, we've only gone about 1% into this magnificent brain that she has. But what should I have asked you that I didn't? And what would you want to share that we missed today? Gosh, um, I, I think I'll say, I'll end kind of with this one. The, the more we know, the more we don't know. And so it's a constant quest of understanding and understanding the mechanisms of the gut brain access and, and uh, gut health and gut dysbiosis and inflammation. I feel we're just starting to tap the surface of that. Mm. Um, there, there's so many things we're learning, even air pollution. Now we put on our, what we call the root cause um, yeah. element where we can prove that these small, small air particulates have an effect on what we call the atherogenic triad. So as we learn more and as brilliant scientists produce the data that we learn from, we can bring it to clinical practice. And, you know, when I ask people, everyone I have the honor to meet clinically, I say, what do you, what is your definition of optimal health? Like, what is it? Mm -hmm. Some people say, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. That means I'm healthy. Some people say, well, I'm healthy if I'm never on a medication. I hear that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Some people say, and the majority people say what I would say, and that is I want to be independent my whole life. I want to drive my own car. I want to open my own door. I want to think with my own brain. I want to see. I want to hear. And, and with that appreciation that that's 
ultimately the majority of people that I have the honor to see. What we're talking about now, optimism, using genetics to guide our diet, getting a sleep assessment, sleeping well, taking care of our mouth, watching our cholesterol, being attentive of our blood pressure. All of those things can allow us to do that long-term. And, and we all have optimistic bias. We all do. It's called, it's called being human. So mm -hmm. if you look in the mirror tonight, you see those little earlobe creases, say, oh, wow, I better go get checked out. So yep. get educated and start there and, and start the process. So yep. that would be kind of maybe we should... That, that would be, I want people to understand that it's a treatable condition. You just need to identify it. Thank God for you. And by the way, everything from your the gum disease that we talked about, I'm glad you added gut health there at the end as well, because that probably was the missing piece of the different things we didn't cover mm -hmm. today. So gut health matters as well. You guys need to go get healthy heart, healthy brain by Dr. Amy Doney. That's what you need to go do. And then after you're doing that, go buy the power of one more another time and share it with somebody. My book. And I have to tell you all that I know today, I'm so grateful that we did this today and that we did it in this time. And um, I'm so glad that millions and millions of people get to get exposed to your work and uh, and that I actually had a tiny part in doing it because I believe so deeply in what today's topic was, you guys. This is why I do the show is to bring you people and information that you probably otherwise might not get access to in a way that can really change your life or change the life of people that you love, your parents, your children, and um, and anybody that you care about. So please share today's show. Amy, thank you for today. It was remarkable. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thanks, Ed. I, I knew it was going to be great, but then you did it again. You did it even more than I knew you were capable of doing. So it's going to be awesome, guys. Share this with everybody. I want to tell you to God bless you and to continue to max out your life and do one more. Take care. This is the Ed Milet Show.